Podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I discuss writing, and specifically today my own writing, and I'm going to get into my new short story, Gwen, which by the time many of you listen to this will already be out, but I wanted to talk about writing in a, a, a bit more of a grander scope today. I have a lot to discuss before we actually get into the short story. So this episode is going to be a bit more rambly, unlike the last few. So, at the beginning of each of these podcasts, I generally start with saying, if you would like to support the podcast, yada, yada, yada. And what I do is I direct people to buying my books, or now my short stories on Amazon, or listening to my music with the the name Lurking Vowel, which is available on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, ButTube, any place you want to stream music, okay? It's out there. And what's really interesting is that I have a Twitter following of now over 13,000 accounts. So... It stands to reason that if I were to release a short story and announce it on my Twitter, that, you know, more than a few people would read it. Especially since it's only 99 cents and you would be supporting an indie author. Even though I only make 35 cents a pop, that's perfectly fine with me. I'm not doing this for money. But, you know, the sentiment is there. And... I know that a lot of people listen to this podcast because I look at the numbers multiple times a week to see what episodes do better than others, etc. So I know that people are aware of these publications. So you can imagine my disappointment, and I don't mind being honest about this. Okay, A lot of people will sugarcoat this bullshit. They'll say they're doing great. They, they're they afraid to tell people that they're disappointed because they don't want to come off as a crybaby or whatever. But, you know, frankly, I don't give a shit. Because I knew going into this that I wouldn't sell a lot, but the purpose of publishing a, a short story a week on Amazon and making a point to say this is you know, short story three out of 10 that I'm putting out. It's to kind of drum up uh, publicity for my writing and to get more people engaging with it. And I have a a cool cover for all these short stories, which is something that I didn't do originally when I was releasing individual short stories on Amazon. But I find that a lot of people are engaging with the post And a lot of people are listening to the podcast, but not a lot of people are actually shelling out the 99 cents for the short story. And I know it's not because I'm thinking about doing the free giveaway after the 10 weeks, because uh, that's a long time to wait for something. And also, I haven't dedicated myself to doing so. But I will be open and honest with you on the sales figures for these and uh, she calls me daddy which was the first short story and this is not the first time I've released it by the way I, I originally released it on Kindle Vela last year and it, it was so lackluster and I released it on a website that I designed and two people read it then I've also tried having a blog for my short stories. I briefly did that for um, the, the short story that I wrote about Kane, and nobody read it from there. And I, I don't want to go on a site. I just dropped my birth piece. I don't want to go on a site like Medium. I don't want to do Wattpad because that that site is a disaster. So I'm choosing to release these in a way that does make it a little limited in terms of access, but the fact that you can download an app to your phone to read a short story for 99 cents, I don't think that's much to ask. 
And I'm not trying to guilt people into buying my stuff. That's not what I'm doing at all. But I'm trying to give you an honest insight on what it's like to be an indie author and trying to promote yourself. And so, I mean, granted, I use Twitter in this podcast to promote my work. I'm not on TikTok. I don't like book talk. I find it obnoxious. I think that the whole business of... I've made fun of it multiple times. I posted a video on my Twitter feed and my Instagram stories, kind of making fun of that recently where I just showed a a copy of one of my books. It was Demise of the Trinity. And I just made a glib comment about people reading it because that's essentially what it is. And if it's not that, people are paying other people to review their books on TikTok and make it. Because my wife has actually bought books because she's seen it on TikTok. And my wife is not a huge reader, but she's been reading more lately because of books she's seen on TikTok. Now, that might seem like a great thing to you, and you might want to try being on TikTok or paying someone to promote your works on TikTok, which good luck there. But... A lot of people are just uninterested in it. I don't go on TikTok to look at books. I just don't. I don't go on Instagram to look at books either. And Instagram is dying. They're suffocating themselves. It's a terrible platform to be on if you're an author right now. Maybe back a few years ago it was great for authors because there have been a few success stories. But the format of posting a pretty picture with a quote from your book or some advertising advertisement for your book on Instagram, that era is dead. And I've tried the same methods on Twitter before and it doesn't work. The only thing that I found that really works on Twitter to promote my stuff is to be myself. And I will also point out that um, my friend Zev, Zev Good, He's also an indie author, and he's also complained about sales before, but he's he said to me that he's found that he's actually sold more books the less he posts about books because people are interested in him, and they end up checking out his books as a result. And that's been the case with me too. However, I still have to tell people that it's out there. And what's interesting to me is that I can post about things months in advance, several times a week, and when I release something, I will still have people telling me, oh, I didn't know you had a book out. That aspect of it is frustrating. So I'm going to get to the sales figures for these two short stories because I think that Gwen will sell more than Kiosk, but uh, she calls me daddy, had a great cover, Although some people thought it would be a horror story and then some people thought that it was a romantic story, which is no. She Calls Me Daddy is a psychological Southern Gothic. Um, it, it It's kind of got elements of horror in it, but it's more like a, a dark Flannery O'Connor short story. And Kiosk is kind of this lightheaded, yet it's still, it has dark undertones because it, it's about, you know, capitalism and all, just all that bullshit. But uh, She Calls Me Daddy has sold seven units. Seven people have paid 99 cents to read that short story. Now, about half of those people have gone out and reviewed it, so that's great. But kiosk has sold less and if you're wondering what could be less than seven well three three people have bought kiosk and again i'm not trying to guilt anyone into supporting my work but i i don't (laughs) it's disheartening for because i'm not the only one that goes through this and i'm just speaking up because it's really common for people to kind of fake engagement with you on social media and they may even go as far as to quote tweet your stuff and say, Hey, buy this, but they themselves are not buying it. The people who like the post, they're not buying it. That's the thing. When demise of the Trinity came out, yeah, it was a bestseller on it's, genres list it was a number one bestseller on its genres list but 
Did it sell thousands of copies? No. Did everyone who liked and retweeted or responded to the tweet where I said my my first novel's out on Twitter, did they buy it? Not all of them. Hell no. Did someone steal my formula for that tweet later on? Yes. People have stolen a lot of my ideas on Twitter. Which, if, if you even look at my Twitter, you may have noticed that a lot of my tweets are gone. So, I'm, I'm going to be transparent about this. And I am going to get into the short story here shortly. But, I am going to be teaching soon, hopefully. Uh, I actually submitted my background report for this school yesterday. Already interviewed for it. They've already said they're trying to fast-track me into the role. I'm supposed to start teaching Wednesday. Uh, they have to get the background report before then. They have to get me set up before then. And I think that it's probably going to be next week instead of this coming week where I, I'm, I get to start. And they said that uh, if it comes to that, they're going to have uh, someone fill in for me the first day since I won't be officially employed. I think that there's still a possibility that they might hire someone else for the position, even though they make it seem like I am getting this class. I have gone ahead and I've composed a rough syllabus for this. I've come up with the assignments. Actually, right before I started this podcast, I finished a writing prompt for the weekly writing assignments that I'm assigning I'm just assigning weekly responses and since I'm only teaching one class as an adjunct uh, faculty member because I can't call myself a professor I I want to to do this well and since I'm only going to have one class I'm going to be able to actually give a lot more attention to detail and I'm keeping my day job I still need to pay the bills and I actually like my day job, but I will have time to give these students my attention uh, when it comes to grading at the very least. I don't know about something like office hours because I work during the day. However, uh, there's also the possibility that these people, whether it's the people above me or the, the students in the classroom, that they're going to Google me and they're going to find the podcast. They're going to find my Twitter account. And yes, as a person, as a human being, I am allowed a social life. I'm allowed a life outside of my professional life. I'm not worried about that. But, you know, I do have to be careful to a degree. And that's just something that I'm keeping in mind going forward. And this isn't new. Actually, uh, several months ago, I deleted most of my tweets. I actually paid for a service to do it because I had years and years and years of likes and tweets and replies, and I had to get rid of that stuff because nothing on Twitter is so brilliantly composed that I would be remiss if I got rid of it. And so I've been preparing for this for a while. And I got my master's back in May. So this was the goal all along was to teach. And here it is practically in my lap. And, you know, I'm not going to stop doing the podcast. I'm not going to stop saying bad words like fuck and shit and God damn it. That's not going to be a thing because this is who I am. And the podcast is separate from what I do in the classroom uh, if I get the chance to even be in the classroom. And I'm addressing it because I need to be transparent about it because there is a chance that someone will stumble upon this and they'll wonder about it uh, and whether or not I'm trying to uh, fool anybody into thinking that I'm not the Patrick Attaway that's in the classroom or I'm not the Patrick Attaway that's on social media because I've, I've already gone to the trouble of kind of diminishing my social media presence in general. Uh, but that doesn't have so much to do with my professional life is just my disinterest in it. I mean, I don't have a Snapchat. I haven't had a Snapchat in 
almost two years, it feels like. I have an Instagram, although I deleted my old one uh, last year, and I didn't have one for a long time. I have one where I just post stories, and I interact with nine people, if even that. And I have Twitter. I have Facebook, but you know I've got 69 friends on there. I don't just add anybody. In fact, there are some people on there I'd like to get rid of, honestly. But beyond that, I think I've bored you enough. And I think it's time that we start talking about writing in the context of actual writing and start reading and analyzing Gwen. Now, if you think that this is just an audiobook version of the short story, you're mistaken. I am going to be reading part of it, not all of it, because I want you to actually read and buy it. And I want to give some context and fun insights and talk about the writing itself, as I usually do. Today I'm drinking my red, white, and blue popsicle sparkling water from Walmart out of my Copper Yeti. The thing with these short stories that I wrote last year like Gwen and Kiosk and Independent and Wealthy Man Seeks, is that I was cranking out short stories with the intent of publishing them professionally, like in journals and stuff for the sake of my vitee. And with Kiosk, that idea came from my wife and a conversation that we had. And Gwen came from... Uh, this interest in not only writing from the perspective of someone who works and owns a comic book store, but also about someone who has an OnlyFans. And, of course, Gwen has a little bit more than an OnlyFans for context, but an independent and wealthy man is kind of built in that same direction of people who make their living from some form of pornography. But Gwen itself is a pretty short story. It's only 13 pages long and uh, a little over uh, 3,500 words. And it begins with dialogue. And dialogue is a powerful tool to start stories and books with, but it's not something that I do very often. I've done it before. But I generally like to provide character context. I I love doing character studies and stuff like that. So it begins with a conversation. And since you're not reading this for yourself and experiencing it and you're listening to me talk about it, I want to provide you with a little context. So Gwen and the protagonist, whose name I don't know right now, I don't even know if I gave him a name. I can't remember. I know I put it in the Amazon description. But the protagonist owns and operates a comic book store, as I said. And Gwen is someone that he met on presumably a dating app. Uh, I think it was Bumble. But they're having a first date, and first dates can be very awkward. And uh, in this case, uh, it's something that seems too good to be to be true because Gwen is actually very attractive and not only is she very attractive she's someone who is part of a different social sphere than this protagonist because he's a guy who works in a comic book store and he's not unattractive but he's just part of a different world so let's just get into this and I'll I'll talk more about it as we go are you at the comic book shop often Gwen asked Maybe four out of six days, I say. You must have some stories about creepy guys coming in, right? I tend to not think of my customers like that. She nods while eating the last bite of Charleston grits, so I gulp my coffee while there's a lull. While Gwen's about four years younger and not unpleasant to the eyes, she's not like the women I managed to wrangle on Bumble. The cowboy boots and blue jean skirt aren't atypical for Noonan, but they generally sit at tables across from men with tractor supply hats and ungroomed beards. Part of why I asked Gwen out to brunch was to see why'd she be attracted to me. You asked about the shop a lot, I say, but I have no idea what you do. 
Oh, sorry, Gwen says. Most guys I date who own businesses typically run them out of the bed of their truck, you know. I don't even know how you keep a comic book shop running in Noonan. You do work, don't you, I ask. I typically don't talk about it, Gwen says. All right, then. For a little context here, uh, these short stories are based in local places. So Noonan is 30 minutes away from me. Um, It is near Sonoya, Georgia, where they film a lot of The Walking Dead. A lot of The Walking Dead cast members stay in Noonan while they film. And Noonan is kind of this suburban hotbed. It's got a lot of places, like retail places for shopping and stuff. And it's got a cool downtown area. The courthouse that you see in a lot of uh, TV shows or Netflix series or movies. Uh, That courthouse is in Insatiable. It was in one of the Conjuring movies. It's in a lot of stuff. And uh, I really love Noonan, but at the same time, there are things that I don't like about it. And it's interesting because I think that it only has about 10,000 more people in terms of population, but then compared to where I live, but it's right on the interstate. It's one, it's right on I 85. So it does draw a lot more people in than my town. And it has a comic book store and yes, the comic book store is based on the real comic book store in Noonan. And I'll go ahead and tell you that there are people that appear in the short story that are based on real people. But they're fictionalized and I don't even know their real names. So uh, I, I can't say that I changed their names because I don't know them. After I pay for brunch and reach around for my jacket, Gwen's eye search me as if I'm making the wrong move. This isn't the worst date I've ever been on, but I didn't realize this was a Q&A for Dungeon Comics. My plan is to go home and try to move on with my Saturday. Maybe I'll stop by the shop to check on Barry. He's been working for me since I started the shop in 2011, and before that he worked at Quintessential Comics in Carrollton. If Gwen really wanted to know about a comic store, she should have asked him out. He hasn't been out on a date his entire life, I reckon. Will you walk me to my car? Gwen asked. Sure. I really like this place, she says. I usually end up at Texas Roadhouse for dates. That's more of a couple's date kind of place for me. So maybe we'll go soon? Sure. She hugs me and I almost reciprocate by patting her back. When she calls out bye to me as I walk away, I wave with a couple of fingers without looking around. Once I'm in my car with the AC going, I'm going to get out of here before we can make eye contact again. This kind of interaction is actually something that I've been through. I have interacted with women on dates, and I didn't really care for them on a personal level. And they were kind of surprised when I didn't want to pursue a second date or pursue uh, anything else outside of you know, that, that date. And I've already talked about the worst date I've ever had at Olive Garden, Jesus Christ. And that was a second date. Holy fuck. Yeah. I've talked about that on here before. I don't know what episode. Barry has golden girls playing on his ThinkPad laptop. A couple of magic collectors are going over their binders on the tournament table. Dungeon is not a shop. It's not just a shop where people come to buy comics and trading cards. Regulars come in to socialize. In a southern town where most bars are only accommodating to Bud Light drinkers, the guys who actually knew about Iron Man and Captain America before 2008 have a place to hang. A young man with a shaved head has his girlfriend with bleached blonde hair with him. Given their body language with him huddled over a shelf of trades and her on on an iPhone, I'm not surprised the magic guys give them a few ugly glances. The boyfriend comes up to the counter, and since Barry is going to be unwelcoming, I step up to the register. This guy wants to buy Daredevil Born Again and Spider-Man Blue, so he's not a total noob. By the way, uh, I know that none of you are curious, but uh, the young man with the shaved head is me, and this happened uh, not with a girlfriend, but with my wife, where we went into the the comic book store where this this story is based on. And 
this was actually after the comic store moved to a slightly bigger location. And these guys playing Magic the Gathering gave us dirty looks. And it wasn't because of me. It was because of my wife. I mean, this was a store that was full of a bunch of guys, some of them looking like neckbeards, of course. And I have a genuine interest in comics and collectibles and stuff. And I'm really into Batman, so I was I was looking through Batman stuff. And the last time I bought actual comics, I did buy them directly from the owner and he did commend me for what I was buying and one of them was Daredevil Born Again this was years ago these are some good trades man I say I'm curious about Miller's Daredevil run he says well he's hard to beat Barry makes an upward an inward groan admittedly the local comic and car community isn't open minded about dudes bringing their girlfriends into the store a paying customer is a paying customer though while I'm fine with guys hanging out, this is a business. Did you put an order for those office Funko Pops, I ask? Why, Barry doesn't look up. Because, I say. The Golden Girls Pops are coming in Tuesday, Barry, I say. Order the Pops. Yeah, Barry's based on a real guy, and yes, this real guy is a big fan of Golden Girls. As am I, I can't fault him for that. I keep Barry around because he's willing to work six days and the typical customer relates to him. Unfortunately, that translates to him thinking the store is his property and we shouldn't carry any products that appeal to outsiders. He only wants the Golden Girls merch for himself. After I unbox some new Marvel comics and move the old stock to the wooden display in the back, I see more Magic players coming in for a tournament, tournament I can speak, and decide to duck out. Somehow I ended up working half a day, so I'm coming in late Monday. Today I was supposed to have a nice date and binge Ranma in my underwear. Actually sounds like a nice day. Gwen texted me around 3, but I didn't check my phone. A typical follow-up, thanks for brunch, I had a good time. This is a sign to stay off Bumble for a week. On Monday I come in around 1 and bring Barry a Whopper without cheese or onion and a bottle of Pepsi. Per usual, the beginning of the week is slow because people are at work and school, so why bother even opening before 2? People who have the day off get incredulous that you're not open when they have free time. Uh, just a, another tidbit. I'm sorry that I keep chiming in here. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, the Whopper. Uh, there is an easier access Burger King. And by that, I mean, it's a prominent Burger King. It's a big Burger King in Noonan. That's right on the highway and it's easy to get to. Surprisingly, there's not uh, a McDonald's on the main drag in Noonan. So if you want McDonald's in Noonan, you have to kind of go out of your way and uh, Pepsi because Noonan is kind of a Pepsi town. There was a bottling plant there and my, grandfather who still lives near Noonan he would always buy Pepsi products and it was partially because of that and I think my father's third wife now ex-wife I think his former father-in-law used to work at the bottling plant it's just interesting if you don't think it's interesting why the fuck are you listening why are you listening to me right now fuck you I'm going to take a sip of water okay I don't have to put up with your bullshit today. You come here and you think you can run me? Put your penis away. I'm running numbers on a spreadsheet when the front bell chimes. Barry gives me a sneer, so I look around and see Gwen in a white dress, jean jacket, and sunglasses on her head. Sounds like something my wife would wear. Telling her that I own the store doesn't bode well if she expected me to text her back. Hey there, I say. So I get the impression you didn't have a good time Saturday, she says. Barry coughs and walks around the front display toward the back of the store, but he'll probably listen to our conversation anyway. Gwen holds her iPhone close to her chest as she speaks, which doesn't encourage me to actually ask her out again. I'm sure that I'm not her type. For those of you who are paying attention, pay attention to the fact that this girl came in with her iPhone close to her chest. Anyway, 
Something like that, I say. Sorry, I kept asking you so many questions, she says. I know it's kind of sketch that I didn't tell you what I do. Yeah. Did you already eat today? Just finished lunch, I pointed the Burger King bag. Well, can I buy you dinner? I'm going to be here until we close, so I can't eat out. I can bring you food. Look, Gwen isn't a bridge troll. The fact that any woman is putting in an effort to get to know me is beyond my comprehension. It's a red flag. You want to eat here, I ask. Why not? It's a comic shop, I say. And I can see that being very exciting. Around six, Gwen returns with a plastic bag containing styrofoam boxes. From the smell, I know it's Sprayberry's barbecue. Two Louis Grizzard specials, a pork sandwich, stew, and onion rings. Every time I walk into that place, I enter a time machine. The doors are narrow, narrow and creak. The tile hasn't been replaced since the place opened opened uh, since the place opened 90 years ago. To share barbecue in the South is to establish a relationship beyond human recognition. Yes, Sprayberry's Barbecue is a real place. Yes, they have a Louis Grizzard special. It's what I get every time I go there. And they used to have more than one location, but unfortunately the bigger location on the highway closed. It was during the pandemic. We left off where you said you don't talk about what you do, I say. Well, I'm not a drug dealer or anything, Gwen says, but you're either ashamed of what you do or you're afraid I'll judge you. Some guys are okay with it. Are you a stripper? I don't work at a strip club, Gwen shakes her head. Is this conversation going to cost me 50 bucks an hour? I'm not a hooker. Okay, I shrug. There's too much talking at the nearby card tables for anyone to hear us. Since this conversation moves as steady as a Prius and a sinkhole, I look around the shop and finish my stew. Barry talks to a guy with long hair and a nine-inch nail shirt at the counter. Sounds like me in high school. If Gwen isn't going to be honest with me, I'll finish my food and invite her to leave. You know about OnlyFans, she asks. Women post their nudes and guys pay for them, I nod. I don't have a membership or whatever it's called, but I don't. I, but I know about it. I'm on a site like that, and you couldn't tell me this because you'd think I'd be a jealous prick? Gwen drops her phone into her purse before throwing away our trash, and a few guys look up from their cards to look at her. By now, Barry ignores her and carries on with his typical staring at the customer's routine. So, you don't want to see me again, Gwen asks. Why do you want to see me at all, I ask. You and I aren't exactly Barbie and Ken. More like Barbie and Gambit. Gambit? From X-Men? You're not a, go a good old boy, Kurt, she says. And yes, I know who the X-Men are. Maybe we can talk comics at my place. Are you having a good time so far? Do you like listening to me read this stuff? The office merch sells out in the first week, and the Golden Girls collects dust. Barry clears his throat to acknowledge Gwen whenever she brings us lunch. He's often wrong, but has yet to grow accustomed to not being right. He still eats whatever Gwen brings, and we've yet to have a conversation about atypical items he thinks won't sell where I have the demand he where I have to demand he order them. I'd let him take the Golden Girl stuff home, but this place is like his home. I'd rather savor the moment someone comes in and finally takes a piece off the wall as if they're stealing portions of his heart. Gwen doesn't bring up the store and our subsequent dates. We never finish the X-Men conversation. Her apartment is white walls and a carpet. There are no wooden signs reading live, laugh, love or plastic plants in each corner. Even her coffee mugs are white without any logos or brand names. I have yet to spot an iBook or camera with a huge lens on a tripod. Thus, I find Gwen mysterious. So, of course, I want to know more about her. Unfortunately, I don't get much talking done in her place. The first time I visit went as follows. Can I get you something to drink? Gwen puts her iPhone on the coffee table. Have you got a Coke? Oh, yeah, she said. Sit down and I'll be right back. Again, notice the iPhone. 
Before she grabbed two cans of Coke from the white fridge, she reached into her shirt, unhooked her bra, and laid it on the counter. Before we even opened the sodas, I found out she doesn't wear underwear either. I don't think we even had sex in her bedroom until the third time we hooked up. There are dead hours at the shop when I have time to analyze anything going on in my life and I think about Gwen and the few real conversations we've had. Neither of us bring up her OnlyFans since she first told me about it. And all the time I'm around her without clothes on, she never takes a quick pic or asks me to play photographer. She hasn't answered my question about why she's into me. Not really. Insecurity destroys relationships, but does that word describe our daily transactions of eating and fucking? Sounds like a bad porn comic by Phil Foglio or Robert Crumb. Yes, I know who Phil Foglio is. Barry tosses the mail in front of me, and there's an envelope from the Atlanta Comic Shop Convention. Last year, we didn't go because of corona, so... I forgot about going this year. Normally I hop on 85 and going back and forth in one day, but getting a hotel room and making it a weekend trip might present an opportunity to know Gwen a bit better. You can take next weekend off, Barry, I say. I'm going to the con this year. What for, he asks. Don't you want some time off? Not really. Dude, why don't you find your own place so you don't have to live with your mom? When she dies, Barry says, I get her stuff. But you can still get her stuff when she dies if you live somewhere else. No. Yeah. No. Barry, I pay you enough to rent your own place. But then I gotta pay utilities and buy more gas for my car. I live with my mom for free. Then don't ask me why I want to close the shop for a couple of days. Go to a park or something. What is he saving all his money for? His mom buys their groceries. One day I'm going to get a call about a murder-suicide and have to identify his body and inside his room will be a memorial to be author. Gwen comes in with food and the, from the Redneck Gourmet, which is also a real place, and Barry already has his hand out with a blank expression indicating his gratitude. She got him hot dogs, but I have a chicken salad wrap. I've yet to hear them say two words to one another, but there's an understanding I cannot comprehend. By the way, if you're in Noonan and you think the Redneck Gourmet is a great place to go eat, I recommend eating elsewhere. In fact, I will say that all of the places that I've tried downtown have just been okay. Next weekend, I tap on the counter. I'm free, Gwen says. Do you want to come to the comic shop convention with me? Is that where all the people dress up like comic book characters and famous people show up? That's Comic Con, I say. This is just a comic shop con where we meet with distributors and other shops. Some indie presses show up to sell us their weeklies. Oh yeah, I'll come, Gwen says. Well, I wanted to do it overnight, I say. I said yeah. When I pick up Gwen on Saturday morning, she's got a white streak in the middle of her hair like Rogue from X-Men. I guess I should have brought a staff and deck of cards. Rather than acknowledging her attempt at cosplay, I drove. I drive silently, waiting for her to say something. Instead, she takes a video of herself and turns the camera to show me, which I assume is for Facebook or Instagram. So I'm, I'm going to stop reading here. We're on page 9 of 13, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, and uh, I don't want to ruin the climax for everybody, but let me set the microphone down. Gently, gently, gently. Okay. Let me take a sip of water. I wanted to talk about uh, my third novel, Surviving New America, and then I want to get into Birch for a moment, if you don't mind. Since this is a, this is a writing podcast, it makes sense that I would want to talk about it. But when I covered Surviving New America on the podcast before I just covered book one... And there are technically two novels and one for Surviving New America. So I didn't talk at all about book two, which has an almost entirely new set of characters from the first part. And some of those characters appear in Birch, my fourth novel, and the final entry into that, that world 
after Birch, I am not going to write any more of those characters, even though I still have ideas for it. That doesn't mean that I have to explore them and uh, the demand for it isn't really there. So I haven't done a free giveaway for Birch yet. So I have yet to make a ton of sales on that. Again, disappointment. Um, Everyone who has bought copies of Birch, I have greatly appreciated though. And it's a different kind of novel from what I wrote previously. And Surviving New America is also different. Uh, There are parts of it that are fairly dark. In fact, there's one scene that my friend who read every one of those books said was one of the most disturbing things, if not the most disturbing scene he's ever read in his life. It is in book two, and it involves a character named Nero and his father. So if you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, my dad also said that out of my novel, Surviving New America was his favorite. So I haven't done much coverage of it on the podcast, and I want to get into it. I'll do a retrospective episode like I did with Price of the Trinity eventually. And I haven't covered Birch at all on the podcast other than reading parts of the first chapter uh, during my two and a half minute episodes. But I've... I've been processing Birch because it's still relatively new to me, too. I didn't spend years writing it like I did with my other novels. So with Birch, this is uh, the second novel I've written all from one perspective, just from one character's POV, unlike Demise and Surviving New America. And it's... it's I wouldn't call it a especially dark novel, but it's definitely a novel that is... a kind of about uh, the mentally the mental unraveling of this character who is almost 200 years old by the end of the novel and he's had this tremendous power throughout most of his life and this starts to do a number on him and his mentality and it has an an, an ambiguous ending and a friend of mine asked me to give him the definitive answer as to what happens in the end, and I purposely wrote it to be open-ended for readers to interpret things how they want. Just like there are several places near the end where the book could have ended, but I changed things. So it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure situation where if you wanted the novel to end here or there, you could stop reading. And for me, the book is it's a puzzle. And I figured after writing several what I would consider straightforward novels, I had the clout that I could write a novel like that. See, when it comes to writing things, being a beginner versus being uh, a pro at it, you need to put in time before you start writing things that are purpose, purposefully ambiguous. You need to stray away from making big artsy choices in your writing. And you need to work on getting your craft done. And a lot of people don't do that. And they suffer as a result. Uh, now, admittedly, something like Demise of the Trinity was high concept. But I worked on that novel for nine years. So there's that. Uh, Beyond those novels, which I encourage you to go read and uh, support me in this podcast, uh, if you would be so great, uh, I would be so grateful if you would do so. Uh, I was going to talk about, oh, I was going to talk about the Breaking Bad thing. So I made a tweet last night about how I was thinking about writing a project. um, It's a research project that I was thinking about doing on Breaking Bad. And for some reason, uh, it seemed like half the people who responded thought that I'd never seen Breaking Bad, which I just tweeted a few days ago about how I was going to rewatch it. I've watched that series so many, so many times, and it was a huge influence on Demise of the Trinity. The character Murray, uh, I came up with that character before I ever saw Breaking Bad, but after seeing Breaking Bad and um, growing to love Mike Ehrmantraut, as played by Jonathan Banks, I really changed Murray, and he's 
pretty much Mike from Breaking Bad. But I wanted to do something akin to my thesis with Breaking Bad, where I, I analyzed Walt's character and the effects of toxic masculinity on him, and I thought it would be something that I could actually write into a research-based book. Again, something to put on my vitae, but after having a conversation with my wife, it, it just made me think about it from a different perspective. It wasn't because she doesn't like Breaking Bad and she has to like everything that I do, which also someone interpreted from my tweet. It was because, for one thing, I already wrote something that was very niche. I wrote a 100-plus page thesis on two and a half men, which a lot of people who follow me don't like. A lot of the people that I interacted with in academia don't like. The people who read and uh, published the thesis also don't like two and a half men. I was very much alone and isolated in that experience, and there's not a lot of academic writing on two and a half men. And ironically, after having published it, I found that someone wrote about two and a half men for their senior thesis for their bachelor's degree a few years ago. So there, I do have a kindred spirit out there somewhere. I, but with with that in mind, um, you know, I knew that writing about toxic masculinity with Breaking Bad, um, that no one would want to read that. And the people, the, the people who did want to read it, um, I feel like they would respond as someone else did, where they wanted to impress me with their analytical skills, which, Jesus Christ, I hate it when people, it's like people are desperate for me to like them and they want to impress me. And I'm nobody. Stop doing it. Oh, God. Let me take another sip of water. But... Breaking Bad means a lot to me. I'm almost done with the Breaking Bad podcast with Vince Gilligan, which it's great and also terrible at the same time. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the podcast started when they were working on season two. So there's no real coverage of season one. They talk about season one here and there, but they don't cover it in the same way that they do other Episodes And there's some episodes that they're supposed to be talking about they end up barely talking about, which is kind of common for podcasts. But it started in 2009, and if you're not familiar with the history of podcasts, podcasts made, I want to say, before the era of 2015. Now, there were podcasts that existed before then that were fine. I'm not saying that podcasts sucked before 2015. But... You could definitely tell that they didn't really know what they were doing, especially when it came to audio engineering. See, one huge problem that I have with this Breaking Bad podcast is that they split the audio into stereo. And in doing so, you have one person speaking in one ear and another person speaking in your other ear. And it goes, it goes flip-flop, flip-flop. And you need to mix these. If you're going to use m multiple microphones... You need to mix these in mono, not in stereo. So there's that. There's a lot of noise. Uh, the host of, I'm not going to say her name because she's already been attacked enough, but she's not a very good podcast host. Uh, Vince Gilligan is in every episode, so he, he kind of does a better job at everything. But there are episodes where you can clearly hear someone eating. That's unpleasant. People's cell phones go off. And it's obvious that they're just sitting in a room somewhere. They're not sitting in a studio. You can hear cars and sirens outside. It's the most unprofessional, professional podcast I've ever heard in my life. And I, listen, I don't make money from this podcast. This is not a professional podcast. And I'm only critiquing this podcast as a fan of it because I do enjoy the podcast. Obviously, I wouldn't have listened to as much as a, of, a, of it as I have if I didn't like it. But I'm just one guy with one microphone, and it's a Rode NT. It's not a super expensive microphone, but these—I know that they didn't have a huge budget for 
Breaking Bad in general, but they have access to better stuff. I know that. Listen, it's just a it's just my perspective that this show was just not very well produced. I'm talking about the podcast, not Breaking Bad. And on top of that, there are podcasts that I've listened to like uh, Coffee Break French. Coffee Break French is still very popular, and it was produced actually around the time where I took high school French. And I remember, I'm pretty sure my, my teacher played us episodes of it. I might need to message her because I recognized the music that was on it. I recognized the lesson plans, and I listened to it to help me prepare for my own uh, French exam to get my master's degree. And that podcast is pretty old in terms of podcast. So it's it's interesting the history of podcasts to me at least and uh when I listen to older podcasts like you talking you two to me or the older episodes of chasing tone I like to think about where I was when they were coming out and how I could have been listening to them back then even though I didn't have a day job where I I could do that very much I was in school and uh, if I were going to listen to a podcast I probably would have done it while studying this has been Patrick Attaway with Demise of the Podcast and quite frankly I'm done talking okay so thank you for listening have a great weekend have a great week I hope you have fun I hope you make friends I hope you never see me again bye bye